Hi, friends. I'm a Global Methodist elder, and one of the series that I've chosen to do is to interview the leaders of different conferences, not just in the United, uh, not just in the United States, but also abroad. It is the Global Methodist Church, and there are conferences outside of the continental U.S. that are every bit as important as American conferences. That's something that uh, in the United Methodist Church was ostensibly true, but not reflected always in our polity or the way that that uh, the UMC did business. I'm very invested in the global Methodist church, truly authentically being global, not being American centric. And what that means is having conversations with non-Americans, people who have a very different cultural legacy, people who share in the same Christ, but don't always have the same presuppositions. And so to that end, I've already spoken with Reverend Guillem Correa in Spain, and then today I'm very honored to be joined by Reverend, it's Dr. I believe, uh, uh, Topolsky, Daniel Topolsky, and so uh, Reverend Dr. Topolsky, thank you very much for joining me today. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm fine, and uh, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be with you today. Yes, sir. I uh, Well, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to speak from thousands of miles away and to have an audience of people who are excited about the project of the Global Methodist Church. And for people who don't know, the, the impression that I, we've already heard about you in the West, whether or not people remember, whenever the Global Methodist Church launched, your uh, region of the United Methodist Church instantly worked to join the Global Methodist Church. You were the first conference to, to seek affiliation with the Global Methodist Church. There was already a scheduled annual conference where I assume you, but also many others, uh, took the floor of the annual conference, forced a motion through to join the Global Methodist Church, and uh, made a very loud statement in favor of leaving the United Methodist Church, joining the Global Methodist Church. I admired uh, your region's clarity about where you belonged. So I wanted to start um, perhaps talking about who you are and some of your personal history and Methodism and why it is that you've joined the Global Methodist Church. And then after that, I would like to have you recount that story of so strongly uh, moving towards the Global Methodist Church. So tell, tell me in my audience a little bit about you and your history in Methodism. Okay, uh, I'm already 48 uh, years old, and I'm first-generation Methodist. My wife is fourth-generation, but I'm first-generation Methodist. Mm. And when I became Christian in 1991, in my city, birth city, there was no uh, active Methodist church. It was closed during the communist times. It was uh, transformed, the building was transformed into the puppet theater, uh, so the only active and vibrant uh, Protestant church uh, at that moment was the Pentecostal church. Mm. So I joined this church, but I was um, not completely happy, <laughs> uh, searching all the time for something better as a spiritual home from, uh, for me. And when they finally decided to restore uh, uh, the Methodist church, it was in uh, 1995, uh, I was hesitant to join because they, the, it was a gathering of people from different Christian traditions, not exactly Methodist. So I didn't see any big difference <laughs> between uh, what I have in, in the Pentecostal church and uh, this new group of people. So I finally decided to join the Methodist church in uh, 2001. 
Uh, and uh, I was almost immediately invited by the, the superintendent back then to, to become a chair of the church council. And I said, okay, it's too early. I, I'd like to explore <laughs> mm -hmm. this new environment for me because uh, everything was under construction. So um, I expected to, to see very clear Methodist features, but they were not present still. Because for Methodists, new Methodists in Bulgaria, it was, um, you know, um, not clear what uh, that name really means. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, it was time to uh, really to rediscover somehow the uh, Methodist uh, identity. And in my birth city, there were almost no uh, Methodists alive uh, anymore. Mm. Uh, because uh, during the uh, the communist times, uh, uh, they were joined by the Pentecostals in order to preserve the parsonage of the Methodist Church. Because uh, the communist authorities all the time uh, counted uh, the membership, and if there are less than ten people, they will took also the parsonage as they uh, took the church. So mm. <laughs> it was very important for the, the the small bunch of Methodists to invite other Christians in order to preserve the the last you know Methodist building in in the city. Mm -hmm. So it was very difficult at the beginning, really, to to recover uh, authentic Methodist uh, identity. So I was not very happy at, at the beginning. So, but there was a challenge, you know, to work uh, for this uh, process of rebuilding. And because of my legal background, I was invited also to serve as a legal advisor for the church because during this period of time, mm -hmm. we had a lot of cases uh, of restitution of church property back to to the church. So I was invited to uh, work for the church as a legal advisor and also as a lay preacher at the very beginning. Mm. So after a while, I said, okay, uh, uh, for myself, I already read a lot of theology. Uh, I'm interested in church history and dogmatic theology and all that. So I said, okay, it's time to formalize all that knowledge to go to the university to study theology and to receive you know a proper certification <laughs> about my knowledge so i went to the orthodox theological faculty uh, because orthodox theological faculties are the only recognized by the state you know theological institutions there were some protestant attempt to form some sort of uh, educational theological institutions but uh, they were very weak back then not recognized by the state so i went to the orthodox theological faculty i did my masters with them and uh, i was invited uh, uh, to start my um, period uh, as a probationer minister mm -hmm. i did it i was moved in a new city in a new congregation with uh, my wife and my uh, daughter so uh, after the end of the probationary period, uh, I was ordained and uh, immediately appointed superintendent, <laughs> which was a surprise for me. But, you know, in our very tiny, small minority uh, annual conference, uh, our bishop uh, um, uh, didn't, uh, uh, I think, didn't uh, have enough <laughs> choices to, to make. Mm -hmm. So probably... Back then, I was the most appropriate, I don't know, <laughs> choice, but I was invited immediately to become a superintendent, and I did 
after my predecessor who served as a superintendent for almost 20 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. You know, superintendents here are very different because you are like a head of the church. Okay. CEO, uh, legal representative, uh, employer, everything, administrator, spiritual mm -hmm. leader. Wow. Uh, because uh, the bishop is far, far away, you know, in Switzerland, uh, in uh, Zurich, <laughs> visiting once a, a year, probably two times. Uh, if we are lucky. So mm -hmm. the bishop is far, far away and the superintendent is usually acting as a real vicar. <laughs> what year were you appointed as DS? Uh, sorry? In what year were in, you appointed as superintendent? Two, 2011, I okay. was appointed in, at, uh, as DS and uh, I served before that uh, a year as a chair of the church council mm -hmm. and there was no superintendent because the bishop... Uh, uh, needed some time to to decide after this long reign for twenty years of my predecessor who to appoint. Mm -hmm. uh, so <laughs> I was finally appointed. This was not my idea. I said, "Okay, I will serve as a chair of the church council for a year, and then back to my pastoral ministry because uh, this was my idea." You know, mm -hmm. that's why I studied theology. And uh, when I was approached by the bishop and asked, okay, uh, I would like to appoint you as a superintendent, but I am giving you a choice to be only a superintendent or superintendent and pastor. And uh, I said, okay, superintendent and pastor sounds much better because I'm too young to be only a church administrator. Mm. So uh, I decided to, to continue to pastor a church and also to, to be a superintendent. So I the, I was superintendent for almost uh, 11 years for the United Methodist Church. And in 2022, uh, the bishop decided to replace me. And on 31st of March, just the day before our resolution for uh, leaving the United Methodist Church, he appointed uh, a new colleague as, as a superintendent. Uh, so... I served, yes, 11 years as a superintendent of the United Methodist Church and the Bishop Patrick Schreif. So we, we had very good relationships and, uh, yeah, it was painful that uh, we ended our relationships in, in that way. But uh, uh, me personally and the church council uh, did uh, all necessary things to inform the bishop uh, in advance about our intentions. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, he was not taken by surprise, you know, it was not like that. We we, we sent uh, uh, the uh, project for our proposal for the, for the motion and also uh, the understanding of paragraph uh, 572, I think, at least a month in advance. Mm -hmm. So he had enough time to prepare himself how to deal with this uh, surprising motion uh, in country like Bulgaria. And I underline surprising uh, because, you know, uh, Bulgarian annual conference was very uh, much financially dependent on um, central conference finances. Uh -huh. So probably many people from the central conference didn't expect uh, such a motion to come from, from our annual conference. Uh, so it was surprising, but technically speaking, it was not a surprise for the bishop because uh, we did what, what's necessary to inform him in advance and to have a very transparent uh, 
uh, understanding what we are planning to do as as an annual conference. And back then we were together with the Romanians. Uh, right. They had only three churches. So it was a mixed annual conference, Bulgaria-Romania annual conference. And I also served as a superintendent for Romanian part for eight years. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was an interesting part of uh, my life, traveling, teaching, organizing seminars for uh, lay preachers and uh, local pastors. It, it was uh, interesting enough. But, you know, after our common uh, decision, when 100% of all delegates, clergy and lay, voted in favor, Romanians decided that it... Probably, uh, it's too early for them to to withdraw from from the United Methodist Church, and they decided to stay. So oh. only the Bulgarian part of the annual conference uh, really left uh, the the United Methodist Church, and we did it a month before the official launch of um, uh, the Global Methodist Church, mm -hmm. April first, two thousand twenty-two. And the decision uh, was um, effective May 1st. And all the time, the church council, myself, we underlined that our idea is not to become autonomous uh, Methodist church, mm -hmm. but uh, effective May 1st to become part of a new Methodist denomination. Mm -hmm. So we did all these things in a very clear conscious that we are acting on the basis of the church law of the United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. And on the basis, I believe, of the practice of the Judicial Council back then, because after our decision, <laughs> they decided to close the door. Uh -huh. yeah. And to be very explicit, that annual conferences, especially in the United States, cannot do the same thing like Bulgarians first. And second, all the annual conferences outside of the United States have only one option, and this is paragraph 572. Uh, for me, this is not uh, the right interpretation of this paragraph because uh, uh, the focus is uh, for those uh, annual conferences outside of the United States uh, which uh, try to become autonomous, affiliated, or something like that. Mm -hmm. This was not our intention. And uh, so we did what we did on the basis of our understanding of the Book of Discipline and the practice of the Judicial Council. And this practice dramatically changed in the next few months after our decision, uh, not in a very good way. And you know that... Uh, what is available as an option for this affiliation mm -hmm. uh, in the United States for the local churches is not available for the local churches outside of the United States. Yes, when and, Bishop uh, Bickerton started making those decisions without even presenting it to the Judicial Council, I, I reported on that openly. I think that's a, a clear, clear and present uh, evidence of um, bad faith in the United Methodist Church. Um, or uh, self-interest, at least. But I've been very... Mm -hmm. uh, well, and I'm not the only one. The The entire conservative caucus within the United Methodist Church and the Global Methodist Church is is uh, dismayed at um, central conferences in the United Methodist Church being robbed of any ability to, to leave. Um, for for uh, Bishop Bickerton to say outright, that is not a disciplinary provision. They cannot do it. 
the only provision is paragraph 572, which is very arduous and largely at the mercy of the United Methodist leadership. My understanding was, okay, so correct my understanding on the annual conference session that that Bulgaria, Romania had. You were assembled. The bishop knew that it was your intention to have a group vote to disaffiliate and join the Global Methodist Church. It finally came time to facilitate that vote. The bishop called it out of order. The conference body insisted. Finally, uh, the bishop called an end to the session. He walked out, but everybody else remained. A new chair was designated who called for the vote. And so so then at that point, my understanding was that the denomination determined that because bishop the bishop had closed the session any decisions made afterwards were not legitimate and that they then compelled uh Bulgarian leadership to go through the paragraph 572 process did i misunderstand what took place you know yes uh, you understand it very 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 well oh. you know it's it's a big problem for me when a single person the bishop uh, can uh, you know stop the proceedings of the entire body? And in the uh, Book of Discipline, the annual conference is the basic body of the church. Mm-hmm. I think not the bishops, but the annual conference. Mm-hmm. And if a single person tried to stop what annual conference uh, has to do, uh, that's not right. Mm-hmm. You know that's why we said okay. Uh, we will vote for the suspensions of the rules, and despite of the fact that the bishop decide to, you know, uh, to go out or to even to stay at, uh, at the, the conference session room, uh, we will vote for uh, uh, replacing him officially, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, only for this uh, agenda item to have a, a different presiding officer. Uh, to give uh, enough space uh, for the annual conference to exercise its rights. Mm -hmm. So we did it like that. And what is, um, um, I think, what was the advantage of our situation was that the national law of Bulgaria allows it. Because if we go uh, to change our registration with the Sophia Regional Court, they will pay um, no attention what the book of discipline provisions are. They will try to review if the provisions of the Bulgarian religious law were followed. So So let me put that in my own words. The Bulgarian government does not care what the United Methodist Book of Discipline says. So when you made your decision, you were not very concerned about the United Methodist Church finding it uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. Go ahead. Uh, absolutely. It was absolutely not our concern. And, you know, uh, our case uh, in front of the Judicial Council was uh, prolonged because uh, uh, first they, they found that uh, the bishop didn't ask what is necessary to be asked. They corrected him. So everything to, to be successful and victorious at the end. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, it was not our concern anymore because all the changes were registered in the national uh, court and all the changes were approved, the changes of our uh, bylaws. And in the preamble of the bylaws, it's written that we are part of the global Methodist Church. Full stop. 
and uh, <laughs> probably the president pro tempore or the bishop of the global methodist church is responsible for the oversight of the bulgarian church so this was the end of the story and our bishop uh, was very very much aware that uh, uh, the situation in in the bulgarian uh, uh, framework is like that so you know did bulgarian he, he leadership did what's necessary to be done <laughs> so did bulgarian leadership ever go uh through the paragraph 572 process no okay no. we decided that this paragraph is not our paragraph because we are not uh aiming to become an autonomous church or so, affiliated or so is, is the united methodist church still in any way trying to make claim over bulgarian no. churches no that it's not possible legally it's not possible well i'm sure i'm sure you're you're correct but um if if the united methodist church gives up on laying claim to bulgarian uh churches former churches then um that sets a precedent for other united methodist churches and other central conferences which is if they simply collectively walk out there's nothing that the denomination can do. So I think we just saw Kenya just do the same thing. Have you read about Slovaks that? did it before Kenya? Yes. Uh, our Slovak brothers and sisters did it uh, last year, you know, following our good example. Uh, and uh, it was again like it was in Bulgaria. They went to the Ministry of Culture because this institution is responsible for the um a religious institution and uh, their registration and they ask okay are there any problem if we do that uh right now and they said no no problem we care about uh, the slovak uh, national religious institutions we don't care about other other stuff so they did it and it it was again uh, clear for the bishop and the central conference that they cannot do anything to overturn this decision or to challenge it legally. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very happy for you and for the leadership and the the people in Bulgaria. It's a wonderful thing to be free uh, in that way. So um, I, I am interested to learn about the the nature and flavor of the Bulgarian church. But before that, I want to come back to your personal story because yeah. uh, your <laughs> your leadership is quite important. Uh, for a time, you said your awareness of what makes Methodism distinct, you didn't know because a lot of people there didn't know. It, it wasn't important. But you've done, you've since done your own study, uh, extensive theological study. Um, so I, I'm wondering what it is about Methodism that you have found worthy of promoting whenever it would be easy to join another Christian movement. Uh, what is it about Methodism that you find worthy or um, potentially promising for your cultural context and for the world? What's what's important for me when we uh, talk about Methodism is that, you know, usually we Methodists like to say, okay, we, um, we prefer to be a movement, not mm -hmm. an institution. That's great. Mm -hmm. But Methodism was not a movement from awakening event to awakening event. Methodism was a very serious... A structured, uh, you know, type of work, you know, out of the awakening sure. as a renewal movement, but it was not a travel from awakening event to the awakening event. 
Because, when you say uh, that, Mr. you mean the Great Awakening, first Great Awakening. Not to only, the second, not yeah. only. You know, nowadays people are going, you know, to different, uh, different awakening events. You know, revivals and yeah, you know, uh, revival events. And yeah. uh, I, for me, it's not a problem. I know that every one of us um it's motivation and uh, new uh, inspiration to do uh his uh, work but uh, for me uh, the emphasis on methodism is uh, uh you know how to uh, to become a discipline uh follower or disciple of jesus christ in your daily life okay. how you can uh find god in your everyday life mm -hmm. So uh, the big topic of sanctification, but this topic is in the framework of your daily life. And Mr. Wesley provided a lot of uh, different kind of means for the Methodists to, to apply this in their daily life. So this is very important for me, the emphasis on sanctification and also the emphasis of our personal responsibility. You know, I have a... Um, a very favorite quotation from one Wesley's sermon. Do it. And I think, I think, this is my opinion, it's a very good uh, summary of uh, the best of Methodist theology. And this quotation is, first, God works, therefore, you can work. Mm -hmm. Secondly, mm -hmm. <laughs> God works, therefore, you must work. Ooh. And the ending is very important. You must be workers together with him, otherwise he will cease working. So this is very good. You know, without the gift, you cannot do anything. Mm -hmm. But having a gift, you're responsible to do everything. This is absolutely important, absolutely crucial. And, you know, this is very good and creative. Mm -hmm. I think a biblically founded a resolution of all the debates during the Reformation time about faith and, uh, you know, uh, good works, about uh, the human will and grace. This is a very good balanced resolution of all these things. And this balance is very close to what we have in the orthodox theological tradition. Right, yeah. And, and you know that uh, Wesley himself uh, was a big fan of some uh, uh, orthodox authors, especially the Desert Fathers, mm -hmm. uh, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think that this tradition was uh, very important in the formation of uh, uh, Mr. Wesley's theology and also the theology of his brother, because in my opinion, when we are talking about uh, early Methodism, uh, the emphasis, the heavy emphasis on John is not a good approach. We have to approach both brothers in their dialogue, fights, <laughs> disagreements mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. This working dialogue is uh, the best definition of the early Methodist theology, not only John, but, you know, wonderful hymns of Charles. Because if you read the, the hymns of Charles, we can you, you can see that the poetic theology can say much more than uh, the theology which is written in prose. I, I had That's an absolutely East, clear. 
I had an Eastern Orthodox friend for a time who acknowledged that the best Christmas hymn ever written was written by Charles Wesley. It had the the most Damn, good for him, right? Yes. <laughs> well, so so it became. Uh, you you've said a, a couple of things about Methodism that I think would surprise a number of people. One, an earnest defense of Methodism as a disciplined, ordered institution, not at the exclusion not, not of... Not exactly a, the institution, but all the forms of disciplined Christian life. You know, Methodist classes, bands, special groups, and so on, mm -hmm. which were part of the, the Methodist DNA. And when uh, they uh, disappeared in in the church life, you know, uh, Methodism was not Methodism anymore, in fact, Ooh. Uh, because we, 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 we became much more than all other evangelicals. Mm -hmm. And what is also important to be underlined is the very special place of Holy Communion in the Methodist spirituality, because it's absolutely not typical for renewal movement to have so heavy stress on Eucharistic theology. But what you have with uh, John and Charles, you know, it's a very heavy stress on uh, regular participation in the Holy Communion. And you, you know that uh, even for, for Charles and John, it was not about regular, it was about uh, constant communion. Ooh, yes. Because uh, according to, to his sermon, it's a duty Mm -hmm. A constant communion. Mm -hmm. It's a way of living. It's not a once a month or four times a year, whatever, but mm -hmm. the crucial importance of the Holy Communion as a central celebration of uh, Christian people gathered together in Christ's mm -hmm. name with him present, not somewhere else, but present. So this is very important combination. And also the, the, the Holy Communion was one of the uh, most important uh, means of grace recommended by Mr. Wesley to uh, early Methodists and they gathered and crowded uh, Anglican parishes and, <laughs> and the priests were shocked and amazed because they didn't uh, see these people before but they, <laughs> they overcrowded their parishes to, to take Holy Communion on the regular basis which was not common practice of this era. Mm -hmm. So so you've 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 stood up for organization and discipline in an era where at least American audiences are quite undisciplined and don't want to be disciplined. You've you've made the case that Methodism is not contained to the work and personality only of John, but also that Charles uh, occupies. Oh, absolutely. And then you've 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 made a strong statement now that authentic Methodism ended whenever mandatory uh, participation in the class meeting ended i heard you right when you said that so um, oh yeah it was a, a great problem for the methodist church so i think we we lost some of the key elements of our dna when this class meetings uh, became not so popular anymore and the people preferred to become anonymous not open and not ready to be mutually accountable i i could not agree with you more i i i have been trying to facilitate a conversation publicly about the essential nature of Methodism, what things are essential to be Methodist, what things are not essential. I, I am of the mind that the class meeting is one of the fundamental foundational things about being Methodist, that if the global Methodist church does not reclaim, then it really is failing uh, to reclaim the Methodist heritage. 
So it, it sounds like you and I are in agreement about this. Yeah, yeah, because what we see right now and what we saw in Asbury and other places, you know, this awakening moments, that's mm -hmm. great. But this is a, a clear reminder that we have to do something serious afterwards. Mm -hmm. This is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the journey. Mm -hmm. We have to provide for all these people or new followers or enthusiastic people uh, uh, very st structured forms for daily discipleship. Otherwise, uh, the enthusiasm will, um, you know, um, go out uh, step by step. Another Methodist uh, reformer uh, preacher that was very powerful in speech was George Whitfield, and we, we know about him. This was his problem. <laughs> yes, and he confessed this publicly that he would get Absolutely. people riled up, but he didn't put them into the class meeting. So he would come back later and found, find them twice the children of hell that they had been when he he first came to them. He said that their fellowship was a rope of sand without the class Absolutely. meeting. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was. And, you know, Mr. Wesley was not so um, influential, not so powerful uh, as public speaker. Uh -huh. Yeah. But his genius was completely different. Mm -hmm. What will we do with all these people afterwards? We mm -hmm. have to take care about them. We have to be very responsible about them, you know, forming uh, communities, forming classes and forming bands. And it's very interesting that classes started uh, for the very practical reason, you know, to collect uh, the money and to pay back the debt. Right, and yeah. To realize, yeah. okay, this is a very practical thing, but we can use it for pastoral oversight and we can do, you know, very powerful things with that. The thing so, I love about uh, that story, Daniel... Is, yeah. I'm sorry, I called you Daniel. Can I call you Daniel? Is yeah, that yeah absolutely, okay. absolutely. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. Uh, the thing I love about that story is the first time that they sent out the, the class leader to collect money, they came back and reported that they found several people drunk at home or abusing their wives. And yeah. leaders today would say, oh, we need to stop this. But what John Wesley said is we need to do this more because we absolutely. are exposing the hypocrisy of our disciples. And that is a loving thing to do. And so that is what I wish that we had the integrity to reclaim is insisting on holiness among Absolutely. people who want to call themselves Methodists. You know, holiness, uh, but social holiness, you know, uh, communal holiness, yes. not social in, in the modern sense of yes, this, uh, this word. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is very important because not only about me, I'm responsible for everyone and yes. uh, everyone is responsible for all others. And we have to reclaim this bond in our congregations and um, the way to reclaim it is to do it first in small groups to live it out in in small groups in a very concrete situation with very concrete persons with very concrete personal problems and to dealing with all that because you know um there is a, a is a big thing and problem in protestantism uh -huh. uh, and this is the lack of uh, space and form for confession Okay. We don't like Roman Catholic type of right. thing, yes. Orthodox type of thing. Okay, we prefer to confess everything to God Himself. He is yes. invisible. We can say Him uh, everything in a very easy way, uh -huh. and we have this very light understanding of sin, very light understanding of His own, uh, its consequences, and very light understanding of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And we have to facilitate forms when where this uh, um, practice of confession 
uh, in a more, you know, collective way, mm -hmm. for sure, like it was in the primitive church, to be recovered. Otherwise, we will continue uh, to um, encourage this very light understanding of sin mm. and repentance and mm -hmm. forgiveness, which is, uh, I think, a synonymous of cheap grace. Yes. We, uh, we take uh, seriously the words of uh, Dieter Bonhoeffer. Yes, very good. Yes. I, I, I wish that I could talk to you for 10 hours. <laughs> I'm enjoying hearing you talk very probably, much. And, probably next time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, when I uh, decided to start my PhD studies, mm -hmm. uh, the, the only opportunity was, again, the Orthodox Theological Faculty, the same university where, uh, when I did my uh, um, low, um, low degree. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I went for a meeting to my future father professor and asked him, okay, it's time for me to write something uh, positive about my own tradition, because usually in the Orthodox Theological Faculty, if you write something about um, non-Orthodox tradition, mm -hmm. you have to do it from orthodox critical point of view so very schizophrenic <laughs> being methodist criticizing my own tradition from orthodox point of view so probably for scholarly purpose uh, this is a good thing you know uh -huh. sure uh, how to criticize yourself from other traditions point very, of view sure okay. i said okay i'm not interested in doing that so if you allow for the first time in bulgaria to do something positive about my tradition i will prepare myself for the entering exams because we have entering exams uh, if you could give me one second i would yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I would like to try and give my version of history so that my audience will okay. understand. Okay, okay. So in the year 1058, there was a schism between the Western Church, which is today referred to as the Roman Catholic Church, and the Eastern yeah. Church, which is in the West called the Eastern Orthodox Church. Your region, Bulgaria, was in the East, um, and so yes. that region developed in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, which Absolutely. for almost a thousand years in that region, the Bulgarian Orthodox Church, that's one family among the larger network of, of Orthodox Absolutely. churches. They call it the sister churches. Very good. Um, <laughs> and so the, the Eastern Orthodox Church has not one pope at the top, but there is a patriarch at the head of each of the sister churches. Yeah, a national church. And so patriarch are on the top. Okay. And so there's there's a national there, the Bulgarian Orthodox Church maintained throughout the Ottoman occupation. It yeah. also maintained barely through the communist uh, uh, reign through the USSR that took over all that yeah. land. Uh, the the United Methodist Church only just barely survived. The Eastern Orthodox Church also very much struggled. Communism is inherently hostile towards religion and uh, towards anything with history that stands against the the spirit of revolution um Absolutely. but but after the 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 fall of the iron curtain and uh the end of 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 the ussr and bulgarians reclaiming their homeland and their culture and their country the there has not been a sort of american uh, flourishing, equal flourishing of all Christian traditions. Rather, there has been a preference towards the Bulgarian Orthodox Church that is by far the majority uh, Christian faith, and they have the gears of power. They're, they don't chase the rest of other Christians out. However, they do things like this, where they have control of, of uh, 
this academic institution where they kind of compel you to reflect negatively on your own tradition. Um, but the question I had for you, and it ties into where you were going, is there's, mm -hmm. there's clearly Eastern Orthodox influence on Methodism, on, on John Wesley, the concept of oh, yeah. the, uh, theosis and uh, entire sanctification, the, the sacramental Absolutely. theology, the importance of constant communion. The Eastern Orthodox faith also makes very normal daily practices that redirect an individual in their normal daily lives towards Christ mm -hmm. Jesus. So, so there are many overlaps where if that were the most important thing, then you would have no problem just being Bulgarian Orthodox and going that way. Mm -hmm. But you've chosen to maintain your affiliation as a distinct tradition, Methodism, which is much smaller, much weaker, not at all oh, yeah. popular yet. <laughs> and so there's a reason for that that you're about to tell me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, orthodoxy is uh, still uh, the main religious presence in our country, uh, but most of Bulgarians, almost 80% of Bulgarians claim that they're orthodox, but most of them are not active. Mm -hmm. They are nominal Christians, most of them. Uh, some of them probably um enter the church only for a baptism or wedding or funeral or something like that or sure. big festival yes uh we have uh, some uh, good trends uh in in the last decades uh, new generations of priests and so on and so on but it's it's important to 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 underline that in bulgaria still uh, to be a Protestant or to be Christian from uh, non-Orthodox uh, Christian tradition, it's a um, strange thing, strange choice. Mm -hmm. If you want to go higher in your social status or professionally or whatever, it's much better not to be religious or to be Orthodox if you're religious, but to be Protestant... It's quite strange, and for many people in Bulgaria, uh, non-Orthodox Christian churches are not churches at all. They're cults, they're sects of some sort. Sure, yeah. Probably dangerous, uh, you know. Uh, so, and sometimes when I have a conversation with Bulgarians, and uh, I share, okay, I'm I'm pastor of the Methodist Church, uh, and they say, okay, we are going to our Christian church. <laughs> so I said, okay, we are Christians as well, uh -huh. um, but it's very difficult to to explain that. And when uh, Methodist missionaries came for the first time, Bulgaria was uh, under the Ottoman rule. Mm -hmm. It was 1856-57, so mid-19th uh, uh, century. Uh, for Bulgarians, were very difficult to to understand what's going on, mm -hmm. and they were very suspicious, uh, not very friendly. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very very difficult for the missionaries to start their work, and when they came, it, it's interesting. Uh, they told that they can bring the Protestant Reformation in <laughs> in the Orthodox Church. Mm -hmm. They came with that notion. Okay. But but they realized that it's not possible at all, mm. you know, to bring something like that in Orthodoxy. You know, the development could come only from the church inside, mm -hmm. not from outside. It's not possible at all. Mm. So they were a little bit ignorant about what the Orthodoxy really is. Mm -hmm. But after a while, they said, okay, we have to, to organize 
our own churches because it's not possible to to work for the re reformation of uh, of the orthodox church but why i decided not to go with uh, the majority mm -hmm. of bulgarians uh, you know, um, what I really like in the Protestant churches and in the Methodist church is, uh, uh, you know, uh, this uh, sense of being part of, real part of, of community, a real part of uh, community of brothers and sisters, and you are not anonymous. Mm -hmm. You're practicing uh, your religion uh, with, you know, your faith. Some people don't like the term religion. I like it. I have no problems with it, uh -huh, but uh -huh. some people have it. I know. Uh, so practicing your faith with all others in a very collective uh, uh, way, this is uh, for me very, very important. Uh, and orthodoxy uh, is currently in a situation of crisis because many people are going to the orthodox church, but uh, they are not real parishes, real parish life. Uh, there are exceptions, you know, mm -hmm. with the new generations of priests. But before that, it was a very anonymous way to practice your faith. Mm. You go and you stay uh, during the liturgy and you light your, you know, a candle and you pray. Uh, and you can even go when the liturgy is not uh, going on. So to be completely anonymous mm -hmm. uh, in an empty church. It's it's not the type of Christianity that I'm attracted to, uh, but some people prefer it. Uh, but this is not orthodox, you know. Originally, authentic orthodoxy mm -hmm. is about um, um, you know parish life, uh, about uh, uh, interacting, about doing things together, and all that. It it will recover one day in Bulgaria. I hope so because. Uh, we cannot do uh, the work of the Orthodox Church. That's absolutely clear. We are a tiny minority church here. Uh, we have our part of uh, of the work, but I hope that they will recover uh, sooner or later. Mm -hmm. And the situation, current situation of the Orthodox Church is uh, very much uh, a result of uh, the the, um, the pressure uh, during the communist times. Because uh, the communist authorities did their best to groom their own um, generations of clergy and mm -hmm. bishops. Um, and, um, you know, out of this, you know, grooming of their own and uh, suppressing all others. So putting them in prison or in special camps or killing them right. yes. without... Uh, uh, any sentence and any legal procedures in the first months after uh, uh, 9th of September 1944, where they came into power with the help of the Red Army. Mm -hmm. uh, all this was a very big blow, and uh, but I hope that they will recover one way or another. But this is not my my own tradition. I prefer to be a part of something uh, completely different. And also uh, to have more direct access to Christ himself, mm -hmm. not with too many mediations, you know. Um, when you talk about saints, too many mediations. Yes, a bunch of saints which, uh, who are mediating your connection with uh, with Christ. It's See, a little bit too much for me. That's, that's, that's been my main hang-up. My wife and I uh, have been very drawn to Eastern Orthodoxy for some time yeah. uh, over the course of 
several years, we've worshipped a handful of times in uh, a couple of Eastern uh, Antiochian Orthodox churches. Yeah. And what we've noticed about them is, is funny because here in America, where Protestantism is the majority religion, it, the Protestantism is largely anonymous and uh, consumer-based and impersonal. But when we go to these Antiochian Orthodox churches, they're very intimate fellowships with uh, families involved, uh, inculcating their children much better than Protestants, taking their faith much more seriously than Protestants. I wonder if that's the nature of a minority Christian sect as opposed to a, a larger uh, culturally Probably. dominant thing. <laughs> I, I really wanted to take seriously the notion of potentially converting to Eastern Orthodoxy because of its cultural proximity to Christ. Um, it, it just seems, but the 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 main place we went to worship has Mary at the top, not Jesus, not not God. It has a depiction of Mary, and then there are saints everywhere, and people are going and kissing them and bowing down to them. And I just can't, I cannot do it. I can't do it. If there was a version of Eastern Orthodoxy that, I, I have no problem with the saints or with angels, but oh, I, I don't have, uh, I either. cannot bow down to them. I cannot pray to them. Yeah. That, and yeah. I know they say it's not worship, they say it's veneration. Absolutely. It, 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 I just can't. The decision do it. of the Seventh Ecumenical Council is clear for me theologically. That the practice of uh, of this uh, mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, uh, not according to the decision and not according to the theological understanding, and uh, it's problematic for me. Yes, um, it's not a proper understanding of the place of the saints in uh, in the life of the church. Yes, I understand that the, the the church is something much bigger than our present gathering here, mm -hmm. uh, the people who are alive. But yes. it's a, a you know. Uh, uh, something really, really much bigger. I can live with that, and I think this is very important to understand. Yes. Uh, but uh, when this practice of uh, relations to the saints is not properly executed, I, I have a big problem with it. Yes, yes. It's so interesting to me, and I hope this is not lost on my audience, that, that you and I have not spoken before today. Uh, oh, no. We have, we have very different upbringings in different cultures, and yet as you and I speak about uh, uh, our relationship with the Lord and uh, walking together in the Holy Spirit, immediately uh, it's very clear that you and I are of the same—perhaps um, uh, there are differences between us, but I feel a kinship with you that I just think is so remarkable, um, and so I, I hope that my, my audience understands I'm not being false in any way. I really am genuinely enjoying the connection you and I have. But I also need to make room, um, I need to under, uh, take time and energy to understand how it is that the Bulgarian church is not the American church, that the sensibilities of Bulgarian Methodists are not going to be the same as American Methodists. Um, the the Mid-Texas Annual Conference has recently started a formal partnership with yeah. the Bulgarian Conference of, of the Global Methodist Church. Um, it's, it's, yes, it has finances involved, but it's not just a financial relationship. You are working in a partnership to learn from one another, grow alongside one another. I, it's not only the Mid-Texas Conference that is called to understand Bulgaria or non-American churches. I think, I think we all need to take time and energy to learn about how we are not mm -hmm. the center of the world. 
So perhaps you could speak um, for a few minutes about what is, you know, you've already spoken a little bit, the distinct influence of the Eastern Orthodox Church, but there there's some ways in which the history has been different, Bulgarian culture even before uh, Ottoman occupation. There are a number of factors that Americans just don't know or appreciate. Could you speak for a little bit about what is different about the Bulgarian context from the American context? Mm. You know, uh, orthodoxy is one thing, but the other thing is that uh, in Bulgaria is not uh, very appropriate to uh, to speak very openly in public about your religious um, uh, beliefs. Mm -hmm. So when the first uh, evangelists from the United States came and started their evangelization campaigns, for Bulgarian it was bizarre, <laughs> you know. Uh, they were curious, you know, because... Um, all these topics were um, forbidden. It was not allowed to speak about it. So people were cur uh, curious about it, but they were uh, absolutely um, not in favor uh, of the way in which all these efforts were conducted. Mm -hmm. I think that we lost a lot of people uh, at the beginning after the changes, the democratic changes, because we didn't, um uh made the necess necessary changes uh appropriate for the local context and especially the american um you know uh evangelists say came with their american way of doing things you know stadiums big arenas mm -hmm. in the centers of the city and um, a lot of shouts uh, loudly music and so on so this was not the best way to approach the Bulgarian people. You know, because Bulgarian people think about the religious things uh, like uh, household things. You cannot uh, discuss your household things on the street in that loudly noisy, uh, how to say, um, mm, entertainment type of way <laughs> it's absolutely inappropriate okay uh yeah some people were attracted to it but most of bulgarians were not okay so um so we somehow mm, uh didn't manage to realize and it was not you know up it was not up to us because all these foreigners they didn't ask us was what is appropriate and what's not they simply came and did their shows in their way well surely surely you know the same results like they have in america probably well surely you're but aware a western audience is going to want to immediately argue that authentic methodism does these public displays of evangelistic appeal because of John Wesley's field preaching and becoming more vile in order to reach the least of these. Um, what, the way you talk about it, it's, it's associated with uh, these big crusades and, you know, Jimmy Swaggart and, and all these, you know, American entertainment. Yeah, at the beginning it was like that. <laughs> but but John... Many people like these people. So, so... I, un I understand you. I understand you very well. But yes. I also believe that if Mr. Wesley was Bulgarian, <laughs> his proceedings will be completely different. Interesting. <laughs> well, so... but There, there will be... There will be different in a specific way appreciating the uh how to say the um inner world and uh, um, 
specificities of the of the local people. So would you, you know, be... uh, Paul was uh, let, let's let's uh, ended this. Yeah. You know, Paul was very 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 um, uh, fruitful uh, in uh, in his ministry, mm-hmm. but in Athens, he didn't succeed a lot. Okay. When he started to speak about the resurrection, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, partly he was successful because he said, "Okay, we have some common things, uh, and I can start from here." Mm-hmm. But in a certain moment, you're losing your audience. Yes. So uh, even even big, uh, you know, servants of of God, uh, they have their their failures when the context it's not absolutely um, appreciative to to your message. Well, and and hear and me. You, you have to adopt. Absolutely, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I I am anticipating a Western audience. Automatic wanting to draw back, especially within the global Methodist church, which um, in America at least has taken a a posture of great excitement for evangelical zeal. It will surprise many to learn that not every section of the global Methodist church is of one mind about um, a public evangelism strategy that is um, perhaps not as exuberant or not as loud. Um, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I, I personally read a, a book many years ago on uh, the, the evangelistic strategy of the early church, which uh, was don't do it, you know? And yet the early church grew leaps and bounds because they, they publicly lived out as individuals uh, a faith of much, very much integrity. So I'm yeah, of the yeah. mind here. I, I will say this, and then you can disagree with me. But I'm of the mind that if Methodism is to survive in the long term, we need to understand that large public evangelism is actually not an essential part of the movement. But that was a byproduct of uh, something that was helpful in a. In English context and then an American context, and it's not bad necessarily. It's just not essential to being Methodist. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I appreciate this uh, evangelistic zeal of our new movement very much. But if we have to apply it here, mm-hmm. uh, you have to go in a more person-to-person, you know, um, conversation or more intimate way. A faith sharing. So all these ways of uh, approaching the other mm-hmm. uh, very personally, we have to uh, encourage uh, that way of yes. uh, doing evangelism here. Yes. And the life of integrity of the group, of the individuals and the group as a whole, this is the best uh, witness that we can offer, I believe, not only in Eastern Europe, but in the United States as well. Because um, the enthusiasm which uh, is coming out of the big evangelistic event is something good, but if there is no follow-up, mm-hmm. uh, this enthusiasm will go in vain, finally. Yes. And uh, that's why if we uh, have to say what is the uh, is more important for Methodism, you know, uh, public uh, evangelistic events or Methodist classes, I will pick up the second option. Very good. Yes. Well, <laughs> I will and I pick up the, the classes. <laughs> I I wonder if. But the, there is no opposition between both. 
you know, I have to be very clear, there is no opposition. But mm -hmm. if we are speaking about the core, mm -hmm. this is the core. Yes. And in our context, you know, more personal and intimate approach is um, uh, applicable. In other contexts, you have to adopt. And I think Methodism in general is very adaptive. And this is uh, another thing that we have to appreciate very much. Mm -hmm. um, very adaptive. And this uh, uh, flexibility um, has to be encouraged in every uh, area of church life. Mm -hmm. You know, right now we are deciding what kind of uh, episcopacy we want to have. And uh, some people had, oh, we, we need to have a general superintendency, not residential bishops. Oh, good. Probably you, you have some problems with residential bishops in the past, but we all the time uh, we had a bishop somewhere, you know, coming once, uh, once a year. Mm -hmm. And for me to have a general superintendency, it's like to to call a call center to receive a service. So mm -hmm. I have to fix an appointment. Let's call my bishop. He's somewhere in the world, probably on the moon. And I'm calling and uh, on the other side of the line, I'm hearing, okay, all the bishops are busy right now. So hold on. <laughs> the first bishop available will answer you. So the bishop said, okay, I'm the bishop. So and so, what's your problem? So I have to fix my appointment. Okay, I'll fix it. So... I don't believe in in such a <laughs> such a, a, a episcopal oversight uh, here. Okay. Probably, in in the United States, the general uh, episcopacy is better. Okay. Here, we we would like to to see our bishops more frequently. Yes. Present. Yes. In person. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. that's why. I, I appreciate flexibility, and I believe that if uh, really talking about global nature of the global Methodist Church, mm -hmm. we have to be very flexible. Mm -hmm. Not simply to say, okay, we will decide according to the American preference, because most of the delegates will be American. So uh, we are afraid of having general super in, uh, to having residential bishop uh, bishops anymore because they um, will pay more attention to the annual conference uh, which are paying them so let's be general superintendents but not everywhere yeah uh, this it's... is only an opinion i'm not part of this working group i'm not uh, i'm not participating in the conversation really at the moment but this is uh, a, simply an example and we had a conversation with bishop mark webb recently uh, in that uh, regard so we agree that we have to be uh, flexible and something which is okay in your part of the world is not okay in our part of the world. Right. Yeah. So not, let's not repeat the same mistakes like in the United Methodist Church. Yes. Yeah. It's very important to learn lessons, not just from early Methodism, but even from recent decades in the United <laughs> Methodist Church. There's a yeah. reason, there are many reasons why we chose to leave, and it would be wrong for us not to rehearse those and articulate those so as oh, to yeah. avoid reproducing those. So I, Absolutely. I know that as we, you know, we're coming up on an hour and we should probably wrap up, even though there's a lot more that you and I could enjoy talking about. But this has been a good introduction, I think, to, to you as a representative of the leadership in Bulgaria and to understanding what makes your context unique. Um, I, I'd like to invite you at this point to talk about how it is that um, global Methodists or Methodists more broadly 
can uh, pray for you and for the Bulgarian church, what is it that um, we can petition the Lord about that would be of benefit to you? Mm -hmm. You know, that's right now we are trying to execute a five-year plan for um, financial um, self-sufficiency, so to speak. And you mentioned this is not only about finance, it's about Mm -hmm. logistics. I think it's it's not only about finances and logistics, it's about... uh, complete renewal of our church because you know the financial situation is a symptom of a much more serious disease Mm. Uh, because um, for one reason or another um, I will not go in that direction further uh, but uh, um, this culture of dependency was um, uh, nurtured um, through the decades and uh, uh, this situation uh, made the church uh, very inactive mm, and mm. creative. Mm. So what, when we are trying to change the way in which people are participating, it's not only the way in they're participating financially, but in their way to, partic- in, to participate in the church life in full scale mm-hmm. according to their uh, gifts and graces, not only in finances so this is a plan really to to work for the restructuring and revival of our church in every aspect of its life and that's why we are so grateful to the meet texas uh, annual conference uh, for their decision to partner with us not only financially to reach our goal which is a very ambitious goal in fact mm-hmm but also to um, to work together uh, for the, the renewal of our church because um, we are a tiny minority church, but at the same time, I believe that we have a lot of opportunities and perspectives for further development uh, because there is no, um, how to say, uh, non-charismatic alternative in Bulgarian protestantism no other serious alternative than methodist church right now so it's our responsibility to uh, really to uh, renew our church and our efforts to reach out uh, new people for christ mm-hmm. people who will um, feel at home in the methodist church as mm-hmm. a, an alternative uh, between you know uh, orthodox uh, option and radical charismatic options mm-hmm. you know because there are many bulgarians you know looking for an alternative and i think that methodism is so rich and uh, wonderful tradition we have to to use all this um uh rich uh, uh treasures that we have uh, at store and to um how to say to to be more active, more creative, uh, to uh, encourage our people to to share their fate uh, and uh, to understand their responsibility. Very good. Uh, because, you know, when you're financially dependent, when someone is providing for you, uh, your only option is to stay and obey. Mm-hmm. You, know? yeah. uh, you are not participating really in full scale. You, uh-huh. you, 
you have no responsibility and with no responsibility you're an inactive participant or mm -hmm. member of the church right. so changing the financial situation is also a, a way of changing everything mm -hmm. yeah. because you cannot simply uh, separate financial part from so-called spiritual part mm -hmm. you know this distinction between spiritual and material is not christian okay it's now neoplatonic probably but <laughs> christian is not you know uh, the basic distinction in the bible is between created and uncreated okay not between material and spiritual okay so <laughs> it's everything is underconnected that's why it's a plan also for complete renewal and i'm very um, thankful uh, to leah heidi gregory the mm -hmm. president pro tempore of the uh, mid-texas annual conference mm -hmm. uh, and the leadership of uh, mid-texas annual conference that they're ready really to 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 go in a partnership which is not focused only on uh, transfer of finances, but uh, real exchange of gifts that we have. Isn't that great? Yes. Uh, so uh, our prayer need, main prayer need is uh, uh, for more strength yes. and uh, courage mm. to um, fulfill the goals of this plan because they are very ambitious i know when i started to discuss with uh, uh, some americans they said okay, okay daniel it's too ambitious you cannot do it <laughs> i know that it's ambitious and they said okay let's let's add a year or two mm -hmm. you know i said no 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 it's it's wrong way to go mm -hmm. because we have to keep this feeling of urgency yes we have to do it now very good and if I say to our people, you have seven years, they say, oh, we'll think about it later. It's too early to think about it. No, 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 no. We have five years and we started September 1st already. Mm. So it's an ambitious goal after so many years of financial dependency to mm. really to encourage and motivate mm. our people to take their responsibility seriously. But we have already a very good um, signs and reactions and feedbacks for uh, from our members. But I will appreciate uh, your prayers in that regard, because for us, it's not only a matter of finances. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of vitality of uh, our church. It's a matter of uh, um, being faithful to our calling yes. in this particular country, with this particular people, in this yeah. particular context. Well, it's clear that Bulgaria is under uh, very conscientious and educated leadership, uh, and so I, I think they're blessed to have you. I, I, I know that... Uh, Only God knows. <laughs> well, next week they're going to be deprived of you. You're flying over here, aren't you? Oh, yes. Uh, Tuesday I'm flying to Atlanta via Istanbul. Uh, there will be a meeting of uh, presidents pro tempore and the bishops, and after that there will be a meeting of the Transitional Leadership Council. Perfect. So I have to travel. Yeah. Well, Atlanta is a lovely city. I, I hope you enjoy I know. your time. Oh, you've been it's, there? It's not my first time there. Wonderful. <laughs> well, I, I wish I lived closer and I could swing by and meet you in person, but the Lord willing. Maybe will. next time. Yeah, maybe next time. Maybe. And where, where, where are you living, actually? I'm in northeastern rural Oklahoma, so I would oh. be at least a thousand miles away from Atlanta, if oh, yeah. not two. So. It's a significant distance. Yes, sir. It's a big, beautiful country we live in. but um, Yeah, probably. It's a, it's a big, uh, little beautiful country you live in in Bulgaria, so... Uh, God has put you there, and I'm glad you're doing the work, and thank you for taking the time to, to let me know how I and anyone who listens to this can pray for you. 
Um, we, we agreed when we started this that you and I would agree, uh, uh, pray privately afterwards. So let's go ahead and, and draw this time to a close. Uh, brothers and sisters who've, who've listened at this time, I, I hope you've been blessed as I have to listen to Daniel talk about authentic Methodism and what uh, the unique expression of Bulgarian Methodism looks like. I hope you do, as soon as this ends, choose to pray for the Bulgarian church, that they have the strength and the courage and the boldness to be who God is requiring them to be in the present moment, that their partnership with the Mid-Texas Annual Conference is blessed with a healthy balance of help and accountability and support, and uh, that you would give Daniel in particular, that God would give Daniel in particular the, uh, the tools needed to get the job done. So God bless the Bulgarian church, and God bless you for spending time to learn about them. This, the integrity of the Global Methodist Church depends upon people making room in their hearts and minds for non-Americans. Uh, so God bless you for being authentically Global Methodist, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, friends.